the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast. And I normally say about right now, like always, I got Jason with me and then we introduce our guest. But today it's just going to be me and old Bondo talking. And I think what we haven't talked about in a while is fall fertility. So we're going to touch on that. And then we're also going to touch on fall residual herbicides. I know we talked about it specifically in corn already this year, but this is going to be just kind of a general, uh, doesn't matter what crop you're going, right? Isn't that what yeah. you had on your mind? Yeah, because I think a lot of the stuff, you know, the crops are off or coming off, and a lot of the things that we're talking about are, you know, spooling up for 2021 now. Yeah, I think we've slid into that area where we're turned the corner enough that we're already thinking about next year. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, we can get everything out in a timely fashion this year, fall fertility wise. Cause I know last year we didn't get a lot of fall fertilizer put out. We didn't get a lot of lime put out due to weather events that, that hurt us there. And a lot of that stuff, didn't really get done in the spring some of it got done but a lot of it didn't get done in the spring so we're praying for a good fall fertility year this year because skipping a year can set you back further than than you would think you know especially when we're pulling big yields out okay so just to start with you mentioned some of it didn't get done in 2020 so let's just bring up the topic of timing what yeah. what's appropriate timing and of course we're talking about phosphorus and potassium here yeah. I mean, that's our you know mixed fertilizer whatever word you want to apply right. to it but those are the the nutrients that we're talking about so what's what is the importance of timing and what are the best timings yeah and that really goes back to what soil you're actually working on because we've got data that says timing's not that important if you're on a specific soil texture right or a specific CEC range. If you're on that, I hate to say, middle ground CEC, yeah. you know, anything probably greater than 12 and less than 30, haven't really seen that big of a difference in are we applying our nutrients in the fall up to the day of planting. Okay, so I'm not a soil guy, so I can use the, the terminology that you don't like to use. So give me... Give me what you got for a, a a low CEC, so sandy ground, mixed ground, and heavy ground. And that way you don't have to say it. I would say if you're thinking it's cotton ground, you're going to be pushing towards that lower CEC, less than 12, probably less than 15. Yeah, uh, or, and or less than 6. Yeah, or <laughs> less than 6, just depending on what you're at. So I think if you think in your mind, I'm on cotton ground, we might need to start looking at how we put those fertilizers out in the fall, especially with regard to something like K that, that we can leach down if we have a very wet late fall and early winter. Uh, when you're talking about something like buckshot, really high CC, greater than 30, uh, sometimes greater than 40, depending on how black it is you know we we can judge that then we start thinking about okay now i gotta look at ph 
because I'm primarily concerned with P on the heavier ground because it generally has an abundance of K and we don't get a lot of yield response to K on heavy ground, irregardless of what crop we grow on it, right? So when we're talking about P, we've seen with our rice data and we're starting to see with our soybean data that if we move that application to the springtime, and when I say springtime, closer to planting or even up to or slightly after planting, uh, we get a yield response when our pH is greater than 7.5. But before we really get into this P and K stuff, I want to take time to say, yes, we missed a lot of applications last year, but we missed more lime applications than we missed P and K applications because you can put P and K out with the airplane. You can't do that with lime. So, you know, if you think back to school and if you ever went to school in Mississippi State, you probably heard Jack Varco say this. We heard it in Arkansas. Nathan Slayton say this. If you had to take one measurement of a soil to judge everything else on, I want pH. We've got a lot of soils out there that we need to correct the pH on. I was talking to a guy just last week, and he was getting pHs as low as 5.3 on ground that you wouldn't expect that on, right? But if you think about if we're growing corn and we're growing rice and we're growing all cotton, all these nitrogen-loving crops, every time we add nitrogen to a soil, we're going to create acidity, okay? And depending on what form of nitrogen we add, we create more or less acidity, right? When we're talking about that, over time, you know, those good rates of nitrogen, that's what's lowering your pH, especially... If you're in fields that have surface water irrigation and you're not getting the free bicarbonates out of the well water that we're cursed and blessed with, depending on what side you're talking about right. here in the Delta. Let's try to get the lime requirement fixed first if we can, and then we can move to P and K. My original question was, you know, timings of the P and K. So correct me if I'm wrong, pulling this together, what you've said in the last couple of minutes here, we can wait till the spring if weather dictates to put our P and K out. But if we got a window of opportunity in the fall, air on the side of getting our lime application, assuming a lime application is required on the field. That's correct. That's what I would do because in all the data we've generated here. And that would be regardless of soil texture too. That's correct. In all the data we've generated here, in, in some of those soil textures, which is the bulk of what we have here, unless you're on the really, really light ground or really, really heavy ground, it's fine to put it out in the fall. We're, we're not impeding crop performance to that nutrient. But the closer you get it to when the crop always needs it, going back to that four R's approach, is always... What are the four R's? Right source, right time, right place, right rate. Okay. okay, and that might not be in the specific order that the Fertilizer Institute says that. them in. I couldn't have quoted that off the top of my head. So. Well, you're a weed killer. I well, mean, that's why I asked you what it was. You quote weed labels. I can quote this stuff. But moving it to the spring is not going to hurt yields. You know, there's been some uh, false advertisement out there, I guess you would say. And I won't even say false advertisement, but there's this misconception that we've got to put phosphorus out in the fall and get it worked in the ground to get it available and that's just simply not true you know most of the phosphorus products we apply in 2021 are 100 percent water soluble 
or greater than 80% water soluble and we put it out and get a rain to incorporate it or disc it and it's going to be there right so let's let's put that out of our mind and think if we need to apply in season or if we need to apply on the day of planting or three weeks before that's not going to hurt the efficiency of that fertilizer if we didn't apply it in the fall we generally apply our fertilizers in the fall simply due to logistics because you've quoted this before is the first pass you want to make in 2021 is the planter on a lot of our soils that would be accurate i think yeah so if we're setting up to do that logistically wet weather wet soil trying to get across a lot of acres fast and not impede planting that's why we do things in the fall and i think there's a lot of you mentioned a misconception out out in the public i think there's a lot of tradition that feeds into that too i mean that's just you fertilize you put p and k out in the fall that's when you do it because that's when you generally have the best soil conditions as far as holding up a big heavy right fertilizer applicator to do it yeah and the and of course as you mentioned the logistics so the time factor to it too what about budgeting because when i talk about fall herbicides you know budget inevitably comes up so do you budget for that application in the current year or do you you know roll it forward and i I know there's not a there's not a yes or no answer to that question because the the, you know the variety of scenarios that you can find yourself in but if you can make a general statement related to that yeah the general statement is going to be all over the board so i'm going to say you can get everything from people that budgeted into the crop year that they're growing it in for the next year right right or budgeting in the next crop year and I think that depends on how your banker wants to see your budget sheet, okay, and where your cash flow is going to be, right? The other thing is rented ground. Is it crop share? Is it cash rent? Is the landowner helping out with putting that out? Because I always look at fertilizer, especially P&K, as capital improvement, right? Yeah, I mean that that and lime, lime too. I mean, yeah. lime's not necessarily a nutrient, but it's an amendment. And and lime generally is thought of more by landowners as a capital improvement than P and K. If we can get that mentality changed a little bit, I think we'll have better quality soils uh, in the long run. The other thing, and not trying to skip out on on your question, but I think it's that depends on the individual enterprise operation and where they want to put it on the balance sheet. Correct. But we also got to talk and wrap around before we start talking about your herbicide about sulfur because it's going to be a problem. Thinking about fall fertilization, sulfur is not one. I mean, I think about sulfur in the context of a shot of ammonium sulfate early season, you know, mixed in with my UAN, you know, 28005, that kind of deal. Right. I, don't, I don't normally think about it. Along with P and K. So tell me tell me what's on your mind there. You know, when we're thinking about sulfur fertilization, there's a lot of guys out there that just can't fathom the extra cost associated with it, right? We're already probably spending $60 an acre on P and K and lime. So they want to put the cheapest form of sulfur out you can get, and that's elemental sulfur, 
Okay, well, the problem with the elemental sulfur is it's got to oxidize and become available. The stuff you're talking about, thinking about in season, is all in sulfate form. Right. Water-soluble, readily available to the crop. So we don't recommend 100% elemental sulfur in for in-season applications because that time that it generally takes to oxidize and become sulfate where it's plant available can range from three to six months depending on weather, soil conditions, temperature, you know, activity of the soil, all that stuff. So if you're looking at an elemental sulfur type product where the bulk of the sulfur in that product is elemental, that's going to need to go out in the fall to give you time to get a portion of that crop available by when the plant needs it. That would be based on the results of a soil test, I assume. That's correct. We we soil test for sulfur. There's not a lot of data out there. You hear me talk about a lot about critical levels, and this is when our fertilizer kicks in for P and K. There's not as much of that out there it's as for sulfur as it is for P and K, primarily because sulfur is a relatively new problem because we're not getting it for free anymore. You know, atmospheric deposition used to be our number one source of sulfur. It's no longer, so now we're having to buy it, all right? And we've moved to this grain-based system with corn and soybeans and less cotton, so we're removing more sulfur, and now we got to keep up with that. Then do you, based again, based on the results of the soil test, do you prioritize sulfur with the lime application? Well, it again, it depends on if you're trying to build soil test sulfur and you want to add some elemental into your program. Well, for the sake of argument, let's say that you're not even in the build mode, you're in the deficient mode, and you, you're going to need sulfur for the crop in 2021. Yeah. Do you try to get it out? I mean, could you do a elemental sulfur plus a pelletized lime? I mean, I know pelletized lime is more expensive than... No, generally, you're not going to be able to do that. You're, you would be blending that elemental sulfur in with your p and k yeah but then that gets into the mfm variable rate and then i've only got two bins how do i do it but generally those lime rates are so great and you know two three four tons an right. acre you're not going to be able to blend something that's going out at 10 or 20 pounds an acre so then if your soil test indicates that you need lime and your soil test indicates that you need sulfur and then the weather starts going bad on you, do you get the lime out and then make a separate, you know, an application just for the sulfur and hold the P and K? Or do you try to do them all? Because then you're looking, if you can't blend three, you're looking yeah. at three applications. You know, if it's if we're into the point where the weather gets us, I want the lime to go out first, and then if the weather gets us, we can take care of those other nutrients in season. You know, we've got plenty of data showing that you can go – further than you think with P and K and sulfur and still have the same response as if you put it out prior to planting. And, for instance, with our soybean work that we've been doing with the Soybean Promotion Board on sulfur, we know that we can hold that sulfur application as late as R3, and that be just as good as putting it out at the day we plant because it sulfur and how it starts moving in the plant there's not that really huge demand till we start forming seed. We've got the same type of stuff with P, the same type of stuff with K. So, but you're gonna have to endure some 
discoloration for a while. I mean, if you're if you're holding it that long, right? There's and generally, be if you, some symptoms, and generally, if you're know you're deficient going in, you're not going to hold it that long. Yeah. Right. So, but if you're tissue testing for plant hunger and stuff, you might pick it up in season. So that's the whole point of doing that research is, if we didn't soil test, you know, we can tissue test in the season when something goes wrong identify it and fix it but we know for instance if you're farming soybeans jason and you take a tissue test at v5 or v6 and it says you're sulfur deficient i can tell you it's going to pay to put this sulfur out because all of our data says up until r3 it's just as good as if you did it prior to planting right where if we didn't have that data we would say okay you're deficient put sulfur out and maybe you're at r4 and then we're like well it's going to help some but your maximal yield has already fell off because you're past the point where it's the same as that early application does that make sense yeah it does so related to that now we're into you know late season fertilization and i assume in that case the sulfur source would be a oxidize you know a sulfate source right so anytime that you're going to apply i hate to say this but anytime you're applying a sulfur source to a crop in the season that crop's growing i want that source to be a sulfate based source so we've done a lot of work and there's a lot of products out there that have primarily sulfate some uh elemental sulfur in it something like the 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 mosaic mesz products They've got, for a weed scientist, a dual mode of action, right? right? They've got some elemental in it, and they got some sulfate in it. So you get that, over the year, kind of that slow release because it's oxidizing, but you got that sulfate there for when you need it. And we've tested, you know, most of the sulfate-based products out there. Uh, all the, the premium products, like I mentioned, the MES products from Mosaic, the Nuvia Simtrex products from Anuvia, the mst products from nutrient specifically in corn this year we we lost if we did not use a sulfur source in our corn trials slated for sulfur this year we lost as much as 30 bushels of yield okay just from electing not to apply sulfur I don't know. I don't know anybody out there that can lose thirty bushels. No, thirty's thirty's a lot. So what we never used to think of as a problem has now become a problem. And for the last ten years, people have heard me harp on potassium, potassium, potassium. I think for the next ten years, people are going to hear me harp on sulfur, sulfur, sulfur. Okay, so mentioning these late late season timings and this is something i've heard i've heard you say before and i'd like to hear you comment on it at how some, do we go from fall to late in season well we're we're <laughs> we're wrapping around the next fall now gotcha uh <laughs> at what point do you get a benefit from from a late season application in the current crop plus making an investment in the following year's crop Oh well, wow. we've we've got some research looking at that right now and it's not clean enough to to say the data definitively says this, but one thing we do know about fertilization is if I put a rate bigger than the plant's going to take up, the nutrient didn't go anywhere, right? 
Yeah. So say I'm potash deficient and I need 40 pounds to maximize yield in, in a late soybean application, but I put out 80. Well, that 40 is still there. It's not like a herbicide application where you're going to make that application, say, September, and then it's gone in two weeks. Or if it's a residual, gone in a month, depending on the thing. If we make a fertilizer application in September on a soybean crop to try to finish off that crop, and we put too much out, we just put it in the bank for next year. Yeah. So, I mean, in that wrapping back to budgets, that would be a case where if a guy wasn't, didn't have the experience of doing a late season application, a good point to convince him to use that would be if nothing else hey man it's going to be there that's correct if the crop doesn't use it right now and we get into that a lot with late season applications because when we generally think about a late season in crop application it's going to go out by air right and if we're putting something out by air in general we're going to get charged for 100 pounds of product going out irregardless if we need 100 pounds of product or not so that's that's one of the ways that, like you said, to help convince that our data says, you know, for the instance with sulfur on soybeans at R3, we can get up to an eight-bushel yield response as late as R3. Okay, well, an eight-bushel yield response is going to pay for the fertilizer and the plane. And if you put out more sulfur because you had to use 100 pounds of product, say you only needed five pounds of sulfur to finish that soybean crop and you just put out around 20 with 100 pounds ams all right now we're we're working on next year i hear you talk about phosphorus i think the way you describe it is we can accurately predict a phosphorus response and you know this number of times i you know four out of five times or, or whatever the number is that you say is the response to sulfur more or less the prediction of a response to sulfur more or less consistent than a response to to in this case particularly phosphorus well we don't know we don't have enough data to know yet and i would say did that you got that a little wrong okay we'll clear it up because i i think you know what i was asking and i probably asked it incorrectly i would say with soil testing we're generally 80 percent accurate with response to potassium Okay, I said phosphorus. That's correct. With phosphorus, we can be as low as 50, but as high as 75, depending on where we're at on the curve. So are we really, really low, or are we getting close to that critical point? With sulfur, uh, we're just not there, okay? For for years and years and years, and we still do this in, in certain soil testing labs, we do a sulfur estimation based on loss of ignition, when we burn the soil right so burning it out of the organic matter and then you got your stuff like your malic 3 extractants is universal and it's going to give you a sulfur number well if you go back to what i said earlier and say we never needed sulfur for so long there's not this robust data set of classical literature that says if my soil test sulfur number is this my response is this so really that work has just started in the last five or six years so we're not quite to the point where we can say with definitive if your malic 3 sulfur is this this is the yield response you're going to get 
is that a goal of that research? I mean, at some point in the future, you'll have the power to make that type of statement. Yeah, I think within the next three years, we'll have what I consider a big enough data set to make that statement. Right now, you know, we've got enough data that we can start to see these trends develop, but we need more data to have power before we tell somebody, you know, hey, with a 80% certainty, this is going to happen. Yeah, and then you're in our world, which yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Right, and I think, you know, we see some trends developing, 20 pounds of sulfur in the soil if you're looking at Malik 3 and stuff. But uh, it's just not clear enough. And that's the the hard thing about soil testing is, you know, you think about getting a soil test result and that and it comes back and it's this is what it says. Well, it's probably one of the recommendations that, and I don't know how I want to say this, w- with all soil test recommendations, there's some gray area, Right. And that gray area clears up the more data that goes into that regression model to show you where that critical, true critical level is. Right? Well, that's not magic. That's that's just science, right? I mean, the more well, it's, the more data that you have, the more reliable the data is. That's correct. That that that's not magic. It is science, uh, but unfortunately it takes a long time to build that type of science right because you've got to have not only responsive sites but non-responsive sites and if you're getting five trials a year and all of them are non-responsive then you got a flat line right if you're getting five trials a year and everyone responded it's still a flat line you got to figure out where those two lines meet and that tells you the critical level, and you can go from there. So, for instance, three years ago, we had all of our soybean trials respond. All right. Last year, it was about a mixed bag. This year, haven't harvested our soybean crops yet, but all the corn that come out early, every corn test we had responded. So, we've got a flat line. We just know we need to put sulfur out on corn. So if you didn't test any more past this, you would say, if you don't put sulfur out on your corn, regardless of what the soil test is, you're going to lose 30 bushels. Yeah. So we've got to have those non-responsive sites, too, to say, wait a minute, when it gets here, let's stop. And that's similar to, you know, herbicide in the fact that, yeah, this is going to work a lot better if it's wet and warm and actively growing versus if it's bone dry and you know that's what i said sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it's not as simple as saying sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't there's a whole lot of you know factors that play into that that's right that's right and and a a lot of times that's what we fail to realize in a fast-paced go 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 world is that it takes time to develop something robust where we can tell you with certainty right because you know what most science is 95 percent i know a lot of farmers that would be completely glad with 75 percent when you're talking about fertilizer applications so so we've moved some of those probabilities back in doing this and it's helped us move forward quicker but it still takes time yeah hey so we didn't get to that herbicide stuff 
Well, you kept asking questions, and y'all know that I'm real long-winded when we start talking about how to fertilize, and and we haven't done a fertilization talk in quite some time on here, so well, so, you, I apologize. You inter- well, you introduced it as fertilizer and herbicide because you said there's no way I can talk for 20 minutes about fall fertilization. Well, we're at about 28 minutes right now, and I apologize for being more long-winded than we always have. Well, good deal. I think that was excellent information a little different than what we've been doing the past few weeks but definitely timely you know given the the time of year so we're going to jump off for now we'll we'll round back up and do the the fall herbicide on another episode so we appreciate y'all listening and if we can do anything for you just give us a call the mississippi crop situation podcast is produced by the mississippi state university extension service 